When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, July 28th, 2023, the 919th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, before we get into it today, I just want to give a little additional context to something we discussed at the end of yesterday's episode, and that's how strange it is that these elderly politicians who seem to have lost a step or 
two steps or 10 steps or maybe all their steps are being exposed to us as not entirely in control of their faculties. Of course, there's this entire Joe Biden episode falling downstairs, getting lost at his speeches, yelling at reporters, screaming random things like my butt's been white. Then over time, we get John Fetterman and his stroke, his total inability to process language in both directions, the things he hears and the things he says. Not that he was particularly bright in the first place. He's not elderly, of course, just obviously impaired. Last week, we saw Representative Stacy Plaskett, also not elderly, but she had a woman just over her shoulder mouthing the things that she said while she said them. It looked like she was being handled in one way or another, maybe directed through an earpiece. Who knows? We are in a time of great strangeness. We saw a couple of days ago, Mitch McConnell, elderly, perhaps having a stroke, maybe hypnotized, staring off silent into the distance, something clearly wrong with him until he is guided away from the podium by John Thune and John Barrasso. Mitch has since said that he is just fine. His office released a statement saying that he plans to serve out his full term as Kentucky senator in the job. The voters of Kentucky overwhelmingly elected him to do. And then we had 90 year old Diane Feinstein being handled even more obviously than Stacey Plaskett was. And here's the audio of that. Senator Feinstein. Um, say I. Pardon me? I. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides $823 billion. That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. Great, <laughs> Thank you. So there's a roll call vote. She's just supposed to say I. And instead, she begins giving her opinion about hundreds of billions of dollars toward our military budget. Senator Patty Murray keeps telling her, just say I, just say I. She's not with it. She's not getting it. She goes into this speech. Then a male handler, assistant, aide, whatever you'd like to call him, comes over, reaffirms, hey, you just got to say I. Patty Murray repeats it. Finally, Diane Feinstein says, oh, okay, well, fine. I kind of laughing a little bit. Oh, this is all humorous. The 90 year old lady who missed most of this year in the Senate can't make her way through the yays and nays. And I mentioned yesterday how we are consistently told that, sure, this is a problem, but it's what the voters chose. The voters knew how old Dianne Feinstein was when they elected her. Same thing with Mitch. Same thing with the fake president. Our elections are free and fair. Therefore, it's the voters fault. Now, I didn't expect that within the next 24 hours, they would just come out on television and say that exact thing in no uncertain terms. But what luck? I nailed it. This is Jennifer Palmieri, who was White House Director of Communications under Barack Obama, from 2013 to 2015, and then did comms for 
Hillary Clinton's failed 2016 presidential campaign. And she is also, of course, one of the stars of Showtime's ridiculous regime propaganda television show, The Circus. Era where you have this that generation, this even in some cases pre baby boomers, um, in charge of America. I think that's why you're likely to see Trump and Biden in an election together um, in the fall of 2024. Is we're still not quite we're still not quite through this period. Uh, that was tough to watch. And Patty Murray, you know, Senator Patty Murray having to tell her just say I. Ultimately, it's up to either the individual to say it's time to go or the voters. The voters of California knew how old Dianne Feinstein was when they reelected her in 2018 or in uh, 2020. Excuse me. They knew how old she was. Right. So um, it was 2018 uh, and they reelected her anyway. So, you know, part of this is the voters also uh, weighing in. And I'm sure the White House is not excited to see older politicians have a, having a difficult week. <laughs> but they have to show not all 80 year olds are the same and, you know, show the president vibrant, show the president out and about, show the president, you know, having a great week in the uh, the world stage, as we saw in, in Europe a couple of weeks ago, uh, de- delivering great economic news. Um, that is the way they battle. Uh, they battle this and we should remind our viewers, Senator Feinstein is up for re-election next year, but has said she will not run. So she has a year and a half or so left in her term in her career, her Senate career, either way. Now, that clip has everything. They compare these older politicians. They lump Donald Trump in there, even though Donald Trump absolutely has his wits about him. He moves around just fine. He has a legitimate real work schedule. He's not only busy making America great again and running his campaign, he's got a full interview schedule. He's doing rallies or large speeches almost every weekend, and he's constantly on the go. Donald Trump's age is not an issue. Joe Biden's is, Mitch McConnell's is, Dianne Feinstein's is, and age isn't really the relevant factor. It's just whether or not you're up to the task. Chuck Grassley is only a few months younger than Dianne Feinstein, but he's doing just fine. Is he a bit slow and plodding? Yes, he is, but he still knows what he's talking about. He's sharp and coherent. He's clear in his speech, though his tweets are admittedly a mess and always have been. But his age generally is not a big problem. Now, if the regime is going to stoop to ageism, which we know is just bigotry, at least when we use it, not when they use it, of course. Well, they have to lump Donald Trump in there. They have to say, look how bad our aging politicians are. Do you understand that Donald Trump is bad for the same reasons, even though you can see that he's not? So that's fun. And then she goes into the thing about how it's the voters' fault. It is the voters' fault. They knew that these people were this age. They knew that this was their mental capacity. This is what they elected. So until the politician decides to leave politics on their own or until the voters decide that person can't do it anymore, this is what we're stuck with. And that's the argument they have to make because they can't admit that our elections are rigged and stolen. They can't admit that California's elections are an absolute mess and that their system of choosing representatives is a mess. They essentially run unopposed. 
Not only are their wins guaranteed by the system, but their primary wins are guaranteed by the system. And they have it set up so that the top two candidates in an open primary are up for election in the general. Those top two candidates are basically always Democrats. So it's a Democrat running against a Democrat. When you have Pelosi or Dianne Feinstein up there, they end up running against some younger Democrat in the primary who has no chance of winning. That younger Democrat isn't there to contest the election. They're not there to challenge a Pelosi or a Feinstein. When have you ever seen Nancy Pelosi debate for her office or Dianne Feinstein? It really doesn't happen. They don't really have to campaign in any way. Who's going to hold them accountable? The voters? Well, that's not possible. They don't even have to debate a Republican ever. They can just skip it. Their Democrat primary opponents are happy to play along. Their Democrat general election opponents are happy to play along. Republicans generally don't enter the picture in these particular California races. So even when they go so far as to bother displaying that a campaign is even happening, they're not going to get challenged on anything important because the two candidates essentially agree on just about everything. What we have is a situation where these career politicians know that they are going to stay in office forever. They don't do much of anything to serve their constituents insofar as their constituents are actually the American people and not those responsible for putting them in office. To them, from their perspective, they are serving their constituents quite well. Their constituents just are not the American people. They know they're going to stay in office. They know the elections are rigged. Uniparty left, uniparty right. They know that their seats are secure. They can stay in those jobs as long as they want, as long as the regime still reaps some reward from those politicians staying in office. Now, is the solution to all of that term limits? Maybe it's something that makes some sense. I think that there are good arguments for it. But in a situation where we actually have legitimate elections, then the voters can actually hold the politicians accountable. And if the politician is not doing the job the voters sent that person to Washington to do, then they can actually vote that person out. We are told that that's what happens now, but everything about how the system is arranged shows us that that is absolutely not what's happening and that there's no opportunity for that to happen. How often are any of these people even answering questions their constituents might have? Understanding that our elections are rigged and stolen, they are just selections. We are tricking ourselves into believing that we're making these choices. Understanding that our elections are stolen actually explains this phenomenon in full. Whereas if you believe that our elections are actually free and fair, safe and secure, that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter, well, this makes no sense whatsoever. The idea that California voters would just keep going out and voting for Dianne Feinstein over and over and over again, knowing that her driver of 20 years was a Chinese spy, knowing about her vast fortune that couldn't have possibly come from her public service or her husband's amazing investment prowess, we are supposed to believe that those California voters 
Those Democrat voters in California who were told are young, very diverse, extremely liberal, extremely progressive. They're going out there and showing up in huge numbers. We're always told the turnout of young voters. They're all showing up to vote for old, corrupt Dianne Feinstein in a primary. Let's not be absurd. Oh, but there's an explanation built in. It's that the young voters who are super, super enthused about getting involved in politics and going out to vote in the general election. Well, they just don't bother with the primaries. The primaries are when all the older voters actually show up. And that's what it is. Those older voters, they don't understand that Dianne Feinstein is impaired. They're just what? In denial about the effects of old age, this is how we are led to believe politics actually work in our country. All of these convoluted, complicated, ridiculous explanations so that they don't have to admit the simple, obvious, totally plausible, irrefutable truth that our elections are rigged and stolen. It is amazing How many things that one simple, obvious fact that is shown to us over and over and over again can explain? It answers most of those really difficult questions. Hey, how did this happen? Oh, that was election fraud again. How do politicians with 10% or 20% approval ratings keep getting reelected in absolute landslides in their state? Oh, we're told, we're told that people don't trust Congress. People hate Congress in general, but they love their own representatives. Isn't it amazing how that one explanation is applied every single time an incumbent is reelected? Yeah, American citizens don't like Congress at all. They don't trust any of these guys. And in fact, they think that most of them are extraordinarily corrupt. But the residents of Eric Swalwell's district know how good Eric Swalwell is at representing them. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. And then, as if Jennifer Palmieri hadn't already given us everything we could ever ask of one soundbite, she goes into what the White House Communications Department should be doing to convince the American public that decrepit old Joe Biden is doing just fine. She's saying, well, they got to run him out there. They got to make him look really energetic. They need to discuss his booming economy. They need to show Joe Biden with his effective foreign policy visits like the one he just recently took to Europe. Because we're going to continue telling people that Joe Biden has unified the allies in NATO and that our great Ukraine war is going swimmingly. Now, we were told a couple of weeks ago that the spring slash summer offensive hadn't really gone as planned and they were kind of winding that whole thing down. It was basically over. But this week we got told that the summer offensive hasn't even really started yet. The regime can't really decide what's happening in Ukraine or at least what they want to tell us about what's happening in Ukraine. A couple days ago on Wednesday, we got this headline from the New York Times. Main thrust of Ukraine's offensive may be underway, U.S. officials say. So it it might be underway. The summer offensive that was going to be a spring offensive until, you know, the war plans got leaked online. Well, now it's a summer offensive that started and then stopped, but it hasn't really started. It may have started. We're not 
sure about whether or not the summer offensive has started. Yesterday, they tried a different approach. Ukraine's stepped up assault grinds forward, but scale is unclear. They claim that the counteroffensive has intensified. What we need is for Joe Biden to go out there, show that he is in command of foreign policy like he did a couple weeks ago with Europe, have him run up and down some steps, show him doing some lines with his son Hunter at the 4th of July party. Wait, what is Joe doing? Oh, he's sitting on the steps looking sullen. Is he okay? No, seriously, is he okay? We're supposed to be making him look really young and energetic and vibrant right now. Can someone um, tell the uh, fake president to stand up immediately? Why is he sitting on the steps by himself at our White House 4th of July party? But you got to love Jennifer Palmieri just telling us what needs to happen. We need to propagandize these people. We see these decrepit politicians unable to function. We need to make sure they know that Joe Biden has energy to spare. The man is just a dynamo. He's practically a perpetual motion machine. He has so much energy. Now, you might be thinking, isn't it kind of dangerous that our quote unquote leaders are clearly too impaired to properly do their jobs? And the answer is, hey, it doesn't matter. This is what you voted for. And apparently you also voted for a completely corrupt justice system in this country. We talked a bit the other day about Hunter Biden's plea deal and how that did not go as planned. Hunter's team of lawyers, someone from their office, called the court clerk and got the court clerk to take down documents that were filed with the court, claiming that she was actually representing the prosecuting attorney's office. So Hunter was off to a very bad start already. This is from Just the News Today. Top revelations from court transcript of Hunter Biden's failed plea deal hearing. Number one, why would Hunter Biden be given a specially crafted plea deal? Politico points out that prosecutor Leo Wise said the deal was, quote, crafted to suit the facts and circumstances, end quote, of Hunter's case. The plea agreement, which critics call a sweetheart deal, would have allowed Biden to avoid prison by pleading guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges relating to nearly $200,000 he owed the IRS and a diversion agreement for a felony firearms possession charge, which carries a maximum 10-year sentence. The diversion agreement included a section titled Agreement Not to Prosecute which ties the diversion agreement to the tax deal by stating how Biden cannot be prosecuted for statements of fact in either one. The article notes that that section said that the United States agrees not to criminally prosecute Hunter Biden for any federal crimes listed in the statements of facts in both the diversion agreement and the separate tax plea deal. Even Noreka, that's the judge, at one point said she did not understand the scope of the agreement to prosecute. Basically, Hunter's attorneys and the DOJ agreed that any issue connected to this tax issue, which would then include all of the foreign dealings and everything attached to that, could never be prosecuted after this plea deal was accepted. And that would be quite a deal. 
everything else goes away if Hunter pleads guilty to these lower level charges. He'd accept responsibility for what amounts to next to nothing, and the rest of it would just simply go away. CanCon and I were discussing this on Badlands Daily this morning, and I think one of the most interesting things about this is you can't imagine that this is the first time that law firms like Latham and Watkins, the white shoe DC super elite law firm and the DOJ have ever agreed to a deal like this. If you think about the deal and how this would normally be reported if no one was paying attention, well, basically we would just hear that the defendant has admitted guilt, agreed to a plea deal, and that's the end of the story. They're basically able to wipe away all the other potential crimes and give the public the illusion that something has actually been done and some accountability will be achieved. You have to wonder how many times this has happened, how much our politicians have gotten away with, how much white collar criminals have gotten away with negotiating this sort of plea deal that absolves them from all other responsibility. The article notes that Wise confirmed there is an active investigation still into Hunter Biden. But when asked why his team reached an agreement while the probe is ongoing, he told the judge, your honor may ask, but I am not in a position where I can say. So they're trying to plea Hunter out of all of these other issues, even though those other issues are still the subject of an ongoing investigation. And you have to assume it's at least possible that there are multiple other investigations going on. Back to just the news. Though Wise said his office's investigation is ongoing, it is unclear whether the deal would have effectively ended it. Noreka expressed concerns about the constitutionality of the agreement not to prosecute section. The crimes stated as facts in the diversion agreement include how Biden bought a firearm and ammunition in 2018, lied on a federal form at the time about his active drug use, and regularly purchased and used crack cocaine. The facts in the plea agreement seemingly covered by the agreement not to prosecute include details about millions of dollars earned over years of business dealings, including with partners in China, Ukraine and Romania. Noreka asked Wise to tell her what the agreement not to prosecute includes. So I can tell you what I think we can't charge, he replied. I can't tell you what the ongoing investigation is. So, for instance, I think based on the terms of the agreement, we cannot bring tax evasion charges for the years described in the factual statement to the plea agreement. And I think we cannot bring for the firearms charges based on the firearm identified in the factual statement to the diversion agreement. So he describes it as fairly limited to those issues, but also doesn't really know. The article goes on. It appears that Biden's attorneys believed that more was covered in the deal than the Justice Department said in court. For example, even though foreign companies are listed in the statement of facts, Wise said it would not prevent the government from hypothetically charging Biden under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, which essentially requires those doing business with a foreign principal to submit periodic disclosures. When the judge asked whether there was a meeting of the minds on that matter, Biden attorney Chris Clark said, as stated by the government just now, I don't agree with what the government said. When Noreka asked what the next steps were, Wise replied, then there is no deal. 
Later, near the conclusion of the hearing, Noreka said she needs more information before she could accept any plea deal. She asked the attorneys to file briefs explaining the structure of the plea deal, and she let them know that she needs more information, not only so she can ensure that she is properly doing her job, but also that what's in the plea deal can be properly granted if, in fact, she's able to accept it. Wise also confirmed that under the drafted agreement, the only way charges could be brought against Biden is if Noreka held a hearing. So if I don't have a hearing or make a finding, no criminal charges can be pursued for the gun charge or any other federal charge within the scope of the agreement not to be prosecuted, right? She asked. Wise said he believed that was correct and he acknowledged that it was unprecedented. I'm concerned that the provision makes me a gatekeeper to criminal charges and puts me in the middle of a decision as to whether to bring a charge. Is this even constitutional? Noreka said. Clark said he thought it was. So basically, the idea is that it would somehow be the judge's responsibility to initiate any future charges. And that would seem to be an extraordinary situation. They did agree that Hunter would be prohibited from using drugs or alcohol and was supposed to try to find a job, which you might normally think would be difficult. But Hunter Biden is the best at finding jobs in the entire world. No experience whatsoever. And the dude can land a job on the board of a foreign energy company. That is amazing. Will Scharf, who is a candidate for Missouri Attorney General, wrote this on Twitter on Wednesday. Based on conversations with people who were in the courtroom today and my experience as a former federal prosecutor, I think I know the full story of what happened with the Hunter Biden plea agreement blow up this morning. Typically, if the government is offering to a defendant that it will either drop charges or decline to bring new charges in return for the defendant's guilty plea, the plea is structured under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 11C1A, an agreement not to prosecute Hunter for FARA violations or other crimes in return for his pleading guilty to the tax misdemeanors, for example, would usually be a C1A plea. This is open, transparent, subject to judicial approval, etc. In Hunter's case, according to what folks in the courtroom have told me, Hunter's plea was structured under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 11C1B, which is usually just a plea in return for a joint sentencing recommendation only and contains no information on its face about other potential charges and contains no clear agreement by DOJ to forego prosecution of other charges. Instead, DOJ and Hunter's lawyers effectively hid that part of the agreement in what was publicly described as a pretrial diversion agreement relating to a Section 922 G3 gun charge against Hunter for being a drug user in possession of a firearm. The pretrial diversion agreement, as written, was actually much broader than just the gun charge. If Hunter were to complete probation, the pretrial diversion agreement prevented DOJ from ever bringing charges against Hunter for any crimes relating to the offense conduct discussed in the plea agreement, which was purposely written to include his foreign influence peddling operations in China and elsewhere. So they put the facts in the plea agreement, 
but put their non-prosecution agreement in the pretrial diversion agreement, effectively hiding the scope of what DOJ was offering and Hunter was obtaining through these proceedings. Hunter's upside from this deal was vast immunity from further prosecution if he finished a couple years of probation, and the public wouldn't be any wiser because none of this was clearly stated on the face of the plea agreement, as would normally be the case. Judge Nareka smelled a rat. She understood that the lawyers were trying to paint her into a corner and hide the ball. Instead, she backed DOJ and Hunter's lawyers into a corner by pulling all the details out into the open and then indicating that she wasn't going to approve a deal as broad as what she had discovered. DOJ attempting to save face and save its case then stated on the record that the investigation into Hunter was ongoing and that Hunter remained susceptible to prosecution under FARA. Hunter's lawyers exploded. They clearly believed that FARA was covered under the deal because as written, the pretrial diversion agreement language was broad enough to cover it. They blew up the deal. Hunter pled not guilty. And that's the current state of play. And so here we are. Hunter's lawyers and DOJ are going to go off and try to pull together a new set of agreements, likely narrower, to satisfy Judge Noreka. Fortunately, I doubt if FARA or any charges related to Hunter's foreign influence peddling will be included, which leaves open the possibility of further investigations leading to further prosecutions. So basically, they tried to hide the real stuff from the public and from the judge and got caught. And that was after Hunter's lawyers reportedly attempted to trick the court clerk. And so what you begin to see emerging from this situation is not only the two-tiered system of justice, it's basically like two separate systems of justice. And we've seen many examples of that over the past few years. These major high-profile political law firms seem to know all of the tricks where all the little loopholes exist so that they can get the outcomes they desire in a way that still seems legal in some sense and at least uncontestable. What would have happened if the judge hadn't noticed this or if the judge had been corrupt enough to simply ignore it? Just sign off on the plea deal as written. It's not hard at all to imagine that. Attorney Saul Weisenberg noted on Twitter, under the plea agreement, there is a probation recommendation from the government on the tax counts. Even though Hunter's misdemeanor guidelines range calls for at least 24 to 30 months, and even though he was going to be charged with felony tax evasion until Biden's DOJ nixed it. The probation recommendation is not binding on the court, but any sentence she imposes on a misdemeanor tax count will be capped at one year per each count. So the judge could have accepted the plea agreement and still sentenced Hunter to two years despite the government's probation recommendation. He also notes that, most importantly, a broad immunity provision arguably covering every crime Hunter may have committed during the relevant time frame was hidden in paragraph 15 of the pretrial diversion agreement. And this was done by the parties in order that the judge could not accept or reject the broad immunity portion of the overall deal. Totally unprecedented. Mike Davis explained more about this yesterday on War Room. So not only was DOJ trying to essentially 
give Hunter Biden and Joe Biden a backdoor pardon through this sweetheart plea agreement. They were also trying to make it for Hunter Biden if there were any violations of his probation or supervised release that the judge and not the U.S. Attorney's Office would prosecute the violations. And the, the judge correctly said wow. that would violate the Constitution. It's up to the executive branch to prosecute, not a federal judge. And the reason the Biden Justice Department and Hunter Biden's lawyers were trying to do this is they're worried that uh, President Trump is going to take back the White House. And his Justice Department may not have so, so much of a sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden if Hunter Biden violates right. supervised release or probation. So thank goodness the adults are back in the room and we have had a return to decency in government. It wasn't enough for the fake president and his son to be involved in all these shady foreign business deals in the first place. It's not enough that Joe Biden and his family members have run a political crime family now for five decades. It's not enough that Joe Biden has become an extraordinarily wealthy and powerful man solely through corruption. Now they have to abuse the legal system to get away with it. Biden often says no one is above the law, but apparently it's totally okay to go in and through and around the laws. Just whatever you have to do to make the problems go away. It's like a little maze. If you can make your way through, then you get never ending legal immunity, no matter what you've done. I mentioned on Wednesday that Hunter had admitted in open court to working for CFC and Burisma. So there's absolutely no doubt about that. Apparently, the information indicating that he was working for CEFC and Burisma contained on the Biden laptop was true. So I guess not Russian disinformation, not the product of conspiratorial thinking, just everyday average good old true. We have Karine Jean-Pierre, the illegitimate president's press secretary, kind of changing the approach on how they try to pretend that Joe Biden was never involved in any of this. We're hearing about pending testimony in front of the House from Hunter's former business partner and good friend, Devin Archer. He is going to testify that he witnessed Joe Biden involved with these calls, doing business with his son and with these foreign adversaries. Not only did he talk to his son about his business, he was the business. His son was selling Joe's political power. Despite years of denials, the public is just going to eventually have to accept that Joe Biden is a career political criminal and that information was widely available before the election where many of these uniparty villagers went out and cast their vote for Joe Biden. And then... Despite the election being obviously stolen in broad daylight, they continued to defend the election of Joe Biden because Donald Trump was so hated that Biden must have been elected overwhelmingly with 81 million real lawful American votes, despite the fact that Joe Biden campaigned from his basement, could barely make his way through an interview without reading the answers off a screen and held events where no one showed up. But yep, Joe Biden returned to decency, adults back in the room, not a career political criminal, and definitely got 81 million votes. So we got Joe getting exposed, undoubtedly part of his 
son's foreign business dealings. There's no doubt about that anymore. It cannot be denied even by the most hardcore of hardcore uniparty left villagers. The most devout communist child brains cannot challenge this claim any longer, but they will. Oh, they will. And people on our side will waste their time arguing with these people, even though new information cannot possibly change their minds, which is what they're showing you. That's why it's not worth arguing with them. The best move is to simply mock them and move on. But Joe and Hunter look bad and they almost got away with it. They tried to get away with it. They almost got away with it. Will they get away with it? Eh, probably not. But we might have to see them looking like they will get away with it a few more times until everyone finally gets it. Let's hope not, but we probably will. Now, also getting away with it is FTX's Sam Bankman Freed. He is back in the news this week. This is the Associated Press from yesterday. Campaign finance charge dropped from case against Sam Bankman Freed. FTX founder Sam Bankman Freed will no longer face a campaign finance charge at an October criminal trial, federal prosecutors say, citing a decision by Bahamian authorities to reject a count in the indictment that was not listed on the warrant against him when he was extradited to the United States in December. Prosecutors told U.S. District Judge Louis A. Kaplan in a letter that the government in the Bahamas notified it on Wednesday that authorities there did not consider the charge to be included in Bankman Freed's extradition. Thus, prosecutors wrote, they would not pursue it at trial in keeping with U.S. treaty obligations to the Bahamas. So this judge, Louis A. Kaplan, is the judge who just upheld the decision in the E. Jean Carroll trial where she had sued Donald Trump and he was ordered to pay her for defamation. Now, it's possible that this is an example of some level of leniency or favor from a corrupt judge in a corrupt system, but it's also possible that this is just an example of following the law and respecting this technicality. If this was not part of the extradition agreement and it wasn't, then this shouldn't be charged. Now, it's good for us to understand the mechanics of that because most of the mechanics that we are being shown right now and being taught about right now are things that we can expect to see again, potentially in the future. It's also possible that the extradition agreement was designed specifically to allow for this situation. Again, think about the understanding these white shoe law firms have of how to navigate these cases. They know all the tricks. They know how to use the tricks. If they don't want the campaign finance elements being charged, they can leave it out of the extradition agreement and then hope or know that the Bahamas will request that charge be dropped because it wasn't included in the extradition agreement. Now, I don't know that that's the case. I can't know that. But we've seen countless instances of loopholes being exploited over the past few years to protect regime assets, pursue regime opponents, and use lawfare in any way necessary to delay a case or eliminate a case or whatever. They have a big bag of tricks and they are willing to use all of them whenever they need to. Is it possible to manipulate an extradition agreement and leave off 
charges related to campaign finance in order to protect not only Sam Bankman Freed, but the politicians he donated to and the system that allows that style of political donations? Well, yeah, that's possible. So we can see the legal system struggle to deal with powerful white collar criminals when the people involved in handling these cases aren't actually pursuing justice on behalf of the American people. And that is what they are supposed to be doing. They are supposed to be enforcing these laws. These laws are supposed to be written by our legitimately elected representatives. These laws are supposed to comport with the Constitution. And they're supposed to be applied equally no matter who the person is or how much money they have or how powerful they are. And we can see failures in every aspect of that arrangement. The Bidens get the easy ride. Sam Bankman Freed gets the easy ride. Obama has his chef drown in the pond. And everyone's called crazy for asking questions. But Donald Trump, he's guilty no matter what. Donald Trump let us know last week that he had received a target letter indicating that a new indictment may be soon to follow from Jack Smith. We heard indications all week that there would be a new indictment, most likely on Thursday. And on Thursday, we were given a superseding indictment with new charges against Donald Trump and another one of his employees. This is from the Washington Examiner today. Donald Trump indicted three things we learned in Jack Smith's superseding indictment. One, new charges won't change the timeline for Trump. Smith, in a filing to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, said the superseding indictment should not change the established schedule for the case. The superseding indictment should not disturb the court's scheduling order, ECF number 83, or the May 20th, 2024 trial date, and the special counsel's office is taking steps related to discovery and security clearances to ensure that it does not do so, Smith said in the filing. They note that despite the counsel's wishes for the schedule not to be modified, Judge Aileen Cannon, in the filing setting the schedule last week, conceded that the current schedule may not hold up due to the amount of discovery in the case. Four new counts reveal text and signal messages. In the indictment, the evidence cited includes text messages and signal messages in which indicted Trump aide Walt Nauta and de Oliveira, and that's Carlos de Oliveira, the other employee at Mar-a-Lago, are communicating. So Walt Nauta, who was already charged, and now Carlos de Oliveira were communicating via text and signal messages. And Oliveira is the latest name in this vast conspiracy by Donald Trump to hide the documents that were declassified and that were his possessions. The texts allegedly include coordination between Nada and De Oliveira to attempt to delete security camera footage at the Mar-a-Lago Club. Nada traveled back to Florida in June 2022 on an allegedly secret trip, which he told people was a quote unquote, family emergency and used a shushing emoji when in reality he was allegedly going back to Mar-a-Lago to delete security footage that was going to be subpoenaed. Nada and D'Alavera texted regularly while attempting to delete the footage, including coordinating meetings and at times walking, quote, 
through the bushes outside the IT office where the security footage was managed. So the claim here is that Donald Trump directed Waltin Nauta, his valet, and this Mar-a-Lago employee, Carlos de Oliveira, to delete security footage from Mar-a-Lago of these two men moving these boxes that allegedly have these very, very top secret defense documents inside them. And this immediately begins to sound like the audio recording of Donald Trump admitting to espionage. It's right there on the tape. That's what we were told a few weeks back. That didn't pan out at all. Jack Smith isn't done talking to Mar-a-Lago employees. Several anonymous Mar-a-Lago employees are discussed in the indictment with a person identified as Trump employee four having a conversation with De Oliveira, which De Oliveira said he wanted to remain between the two of them. In this conversation, De Oliveira allegedly told this employee that the boss wanted the security camera footage deleted. Other interactions between Trump employee four, among other employees, and De Oliveira appear to have gotten him indicted, meaning that Smith's investigation appears not to be done talking with employees who work at the Trump resort. The new charges come as Trump is widely expected to be indicted by a grand jury in Washington, D.C. on charges related to his alleged attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election and the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. Trump is also under a grand jury investigation in Georgia for his actions following the 2020 election. And we are told that security fencing was put out in Fulton County in the event that there might be charges imminent and then we would see protests or something. I mean, at this point, Trump indictments are rather entertaining, and I just love when they put their cards on the table. Eventually, they're going to have to put their cards on the table. They've been talking about these indictments forever, and when it's all just talk, well, we can imagine the most threatening version, and that's what all of the brain-dead uniparty left Trump-hating villagers online do. They assume that all of these charges are going to show that Donald Trump is definitely guilty of the worst crimes ever committed against this country by an elected official, particularly a president. They're going to be so damning and so irrefutable that Donald Trump is going to live out the rest of his days behind bars and imagining things is super fun. But once they actually release the indictments and tell us what it is they're actually pursuing, That imaginary part goes away. We know what we're actually dealing with, and we can see how preposterous the latest get Trump effort is each time. And they are all preposterous. And me saying that, of course, would get me accused of being biased or, you know, coping. I'm just not dealing with the real substance of what's going on here. Well, that's not our side doing that. That's their side doing that. They can't even explain what crime they believe Donald Trump has committed with any level of detail, nor how it's actually illegal, nor how these cases will be tried to the point of conviction for Donald Trump. Now, if they convict Donald Trump in our ridiculous and corrupt court system, that still doesn't matter because the stuff will just be appealed. And eventually we can at least hope that Donald Trump will see justice. 
I don't think anyone on our side who pays attention to these things is actually concerned that Donald Trump is going to go to prison. But hey, if that's what the people need to see and that's how all this has to go down, well, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But there's really nothing here. The whole thing is preposterous. So what if they have video of these guys moving boxes? The underlying crime does not exist. Julie Kelly noted on Twitter that this is why the dirty DOJ and Jack Smith conducted nearly the entire classified docs investigation in the Trump hating cesspool DC courthouse. And you might remember back to last week when we discussed Washington DC's special arrangement. She goes on, name another judge and jurisdiction that would demand personal security video from inside a former president's home to see who moved some boxes. Jared Chambers on Twitter quote tweeted that and added this. While grand jury subpoenas aren't generally considered a violation of the Fourth Amendment, legal precedent does hold that grand juries can't willy nilly subpoena that which is covered by the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. And he encloses a citing from law.cornell.edu. And it reads In Hale versus Henkel, the Supreme Court observed, of course, the grand jury's subpoena power is not unlimited. It may consider incompetent evidence, but it may not itself violate a valid privilege, whether established by the Constitution, statutes, or the common law. Although, for example, an indictment based on evidence obtained in violation of a defendant's Fifth Amendment privilege is nevertheless valid, the grand jury may not force a witness to answer questions in violation of that constitutional guarantee. Similarly, a grand jury may not compel a person to produce books and papers that would incriminate him. The grand jury is also without power to invade a legitimate privacy interest protected by the Fourth Amendment. A grand jury subpoena, duces tecum, which means under threat of penalty, will be disallowed if it is, quote, far too sweeping in its terms to be regarded as reasonable. So the idea here is that the grand jury is not allowed to request so much information and demand that that information be produced if the forced production of that information violates privacy rights and the right not to self-incriminate. So we'll have to see how all of that plays out. Donald Trump addressed this superseding indictment in an interview with Breitbart yesterday. Just before we sat down here, the special counsel put out a superseding indictment. That What that means is additional charges against you on the documents case, as well as they added another defendant, the, the head of maintenance down at Mar-a-Lago. Um, what's your, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to review this. I what's just your heard response it as I'm sitting it? down. This is harassment. This is election interference. Uh, I'm protected by the Presidential Records Act uh, totally. It shouldn't even be a case. It's not a criminal case. Uh, where's Biden with all the documents? He's got 20 times, 30 times the documents I have, and he has not made it easy for them either. They're hiding boxes. They're sending boxes to Chinatown. Boxes are being sent to Chinatown, and yet China's paying them millions of dollars. You explain that one, and you don't even hear about it. All you hear about is Trump. No, this is a two-tier system of injustice. And that's what we have. We have a sick country. Our country is very sick right now. 
we have a failing nation, and it's a very, very sad thing to watch. Mm-hmm. You've called Jack Smith deranged. Yeah. Uh, again, if you're elected president, yeah. again, is he somebody you would fire? Well, I wouldn't keep him. Jack okay. Smith, why would I keep him? He is deranged. Look, uh, he's gone after other people, been overturned unanimously in the Supreme Court. He's destroyed a lot of lives. Lives have been destroyed, and he's destroyed people. He's destroyed lives. And... Uh, you know, virtually illegally. He was lowest learner in the IRS case, which is one of the most egregious abuses, what happened. The government had to apologize to people. It went after Christians. No, this is a guy. He's a wild man, and I call him deranged. And he's been overturned, and uh, he went after the governor of Virginia, overturned unanimously. He went after another senator or something. He was overturned. Uh, what What he's done is just horrible. And the abuse of power. It's a, it is prosecutorial misconduct. Do you think that this case is the, the cases that he's bringing against you are going to end up, go, when we look back on them in history, uh, we'll be looking back at them like we look back at his case against Edwards, his case against uh, Senator Edwards, is who you're talking about there, uh, or Governor McDonald. And he's done it with people of both parties. I think they'll end up being an embarrassment to the Democrats and an embarrassment to our country. And they have lifted my poll numbers. In all fairness, they didn't want to run against me. That's why they did it. They did this so that I wouldn't get the nomination. And it actually had the reverse effect. It's lifted my numbers, but I was winning anyway by a lot. And now the polls just came out today. I'm winning by like 40 points, 45 points. And I'm also beating Biden by a lot. And DeSantis, or DeSanctimonious as I call him, is losing very badly to Biden. I'm winning by a lot to Biden. Uh, They don't want to run against me. That's why they did it. And it's had a reverse impact because... The public is smart, and they see this stuff. And now, maybe a January 6th case. I don't know. Maybe not, too, because it's uh, did nothing wrong. But what they're doing has been uh, it's not been received very well by the public because the poll numbers are through the roof. But they did this in order to get me out. And it's incredible because the public gets it, and it had the opposite impact. So Donald Trump does not seem threatened in the slightest by what's happening here. He is just using it as an opportunity to hammer home the point. We do indeed have a two tier system of justice in this country, or perhaps two entirely separate systems of justice in this country. But regardless, the law applies differently to Donald Trump than it does to people favored by the regime, the Bidens, Obama, Sam Bankman Freed, They're not being raked over the coals. They don't have prosecutors around the country inventing novel legal theories, trying them under ancient laws that have never been used before. In fact, they're actively trying to get around the laws as written. They're really just exploiting the loopholes on both sides. They game the system to protect their own and they game the system to eliminate anyone who challenges their grip on power. All of this is simply done to protect the old guard, the very, very, very old guard. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. 
You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!